you have a Bible, you can open to Luke 19. We'll look at verses 28 through 44 this morning, and the text is also printed in the bulletin. It's, uh, it's Palm Sunday, so we're taking a little break from our series through the Psalms, uh, just for Palm Sunday and for Easter Sunday next week. <clears throat> Palm Sunday. Um, I always think that Palm Sunday is uh, such a strange day to celebrate. It's a, it's a strange event in the Gospels to commemorate, uh, which is probably exactly why we should celebrate it, because it's strange. Pretty much everything that we celebrate is strange. All the main uh, Christian calendar days, they're strange. God becoming a human being, that's strange. The death of our Savior, the death of the one who's supposed to save us, his resurrection to eternal life, these things are strange. The day when the king rode into his city, when his people welcomed him with fanfare and with praises, but they didn't really understand what they were doing. They didn't see the pain on his face. They didn't see his tears. They didn't hear his warning of their doom. And then within the space of uh, just less than a week, uh, the whole city turns around and cries out for his death. Yeah, let's have a special day in the church calendar every year for that. That's how we roll. That's how we roll in the church. We do strange stuff like that. So we're going to talk about Palm Sunday uh, today. Let's, let's pray, then we'll read the scriptures. <clears throat> Father, everything about you is uh, just not what we would expect. We would never guess what you are like, really. We'd never be able to relate to you unless you spoke to us first, unless you revealed yourself to us, especially in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that now as we look at the gospel... You would make yourself known to us. You would make yourself known to all the earth, as we've just sung, uh, but especially to every person here, that uh, everyone within earshot of your gospel can come to know you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground 
you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let me just back up. And this is a big passage. We're not going to be able to talk about everything going on here. Um, but uh, we, we actually need to back up and talk about stuff that happened before this in the gospel story, just for some context, because our passage begins in verse 28, when he had said these things, which is an indicator that there's a connection we should be aware of, uh, that these aren't just isolated little bits of story, but they're really connected. So we, we look back. Jesus had been uh, passing through Jericho. He invited himself over to Zacchaeus's house. A lot of you kids know that story. Uh, Jesus blessed Zacchaeus. Jesus changed his life from the inside out just by his presence with him. And at the end of that uh, sort of little episode, Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And then it says, as they heard these things, all the people who had been traveling with him, this great multitude of disciples now traveling with him, not just the twelve, but a, a large contingent, it says, as, the, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So we talk about this frequently. We have assumptions about who Jesus is. The disciples who were following him there and everybody really in the nation of Israel had uh, uh, assumptions about who Jesus is or who the Messiah would be, expectations for what he would come to do. The people around Jesus had their own ideas about what was good for them, what they really needed, and they had this picture in their minds of what their Savior would do for them. They wanted this sociopolitical freedom from Rome, their oppressors. They were an occupied nation-state, and Rome, the empire, had taken them over, and they wanted freedom from Rome. They wanted <clears throat> peace. They wanted peace that just meant just political peace, the, the kind that you get when you establish your own kingdom. You can manage, manage your own kingdom. And they wanted a, a king. They thought this Messiah would be someone that they were looking forward to, promised by the Scriptures. They thought this would be a king, and actually, very clearly in the Scriptures, would be a king who ruled over all the earth, but they wanted a king to win them a war. They, were, they had war on the mind. They wanted to win that war. They wanted a king to win them this war over and against Rome and destroy them, kick them out in order to get the peace that they wanted. We all want our versions of that, our versions of peace, our versions of comfort in life, our versions of um, security. We all have our assumptions, our expectations, for how Jesus should bring those things to us. I know for sure what peace and comfort in my life looks like, and I think if he's going to be a good Messiah, he's going, to, he's going to fulfill the picture I've already got in my mind about all those things. Basically, basically we demand his help with our own agendas. That's what it is. We demand his help. These are demands. These are expectations that we have of him. We demand his help with our own agendas. As long as he lives up to our expectations, we're happy enough. People here are happy enough. But the moment that he contradicts our expectations or undermines our, our picture of a Savior, what a Savior should be and what he should do, well, then it's another story. And thankfully, one of the main things Jesus came to do was correct our false assumptions about him. He came, 
didn't just get fed up with everybody. He came to correct our false, our, uh, our wrong expectations about him and his work. So he tells this parable. That's what's happening just before our passage. <clears throat> he tells this parable because they're expecting him to just bring this kingdom and roll over the Roman Empire and give them the peace that they want and fulfill their own agenda. So he tells this parable. He said, therefore, in verse 12 of chapter 19, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. But it says, I'm reading a sort of condensed version of this long parable. He said, but his citizens, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he summoned his servants and he said, as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So this is pretty hard stuff. Jesus is setting them straight. If he was king, which is what they're saying, if he was king and if they were his citizens, well, this is, this is the kind of relationship they've really had. This is the kind of citizens they've really been. They really wanted to live independent of his rule. They really wanted to live independent of his rule. And that's what it means to want the things that they wanted. To want war with Rome and bloody victory over their enemies, that's not, that doesn't reflect the kingdom of God. That reflects what's in their own minds, their own expectations. And then they had the nerve to expect him to help with that agenda, to expect that from Jesus. And we know what that's like. We go along living our lives, living lives in our own way. We're just doing our own thing. Until something like a hiccup or a speed bump or a brick wall um, sort of interrupts our groove. And then we pray. Then we go to him. And our prayer basically amounts to Jesus, just help me just enough to get back into this groove that I was in before. To live my life my own way and do my own thing and seek my own agenda. Help me get back on that track. That's how we pray. We don't really want Jesus to reign, reign over us. We just want him to help us with our agendas a little bit. The Jews didn't want him to be the king that he really was, the king that he'd been revealing himself to be all along. They didn't want him to be that king. They only wanted him to be the king that, that they wanted. Or no king at all. But Jesus says to want those things, is, is to want death. That's the way of death. It's not exactly the proclamation of the king that the people were looking for. But hey, let's just ignore all those things he just said that don't make any sense because we don't like it and give him a king's reception. And we'll treat him like the king that we want when he comes into Jerusalem. And maybe he'll sort of get in line with our agendas. We treat him real good. They throw their cloaks on his mount. And this is his disciples. In other Gospels, it's, it's just saying, like, the whole city is doing this. Everybody. They throw their cloaks on his mount and on the road before him. It's a very personal version of rolling out the red carpet. It's a very personally costly version of that. 
In the other Gospels, they also use these palm branches, which we've got here uh, today because of Palm Sunday. They use these palm branches. This is the Jewish national symbol of victory over your enemies, to, to welcome the triumphant king who's going to win the victory over Rome. He's going to make war on their behalf. But he continues, even though they're, they're treating him like the king that they want, he continues to make obvious efforts to correct them. He doesn't demand the best war horse to enter the city. He arranges to borrow an animal that doesn't belong to him. It's an untrained young donkey. It's a humble beast and probably an extra stubborn one, untrained donkey. <laughs> um, so riding into the city on this would probably look kind of silly. It's not exactly the picture of regal dignity and power. It's barely worth riding this animal. Barely worth. It's probably not worth riding the animal. You could walk in easier. Unless you're trying to communicate something, which is what he's doing. He's trying to communicate something. And the people definitely get some things right. Jesus deserves every honor. He is the king that they call him. He's the king who comes in the name of Yahweh. That's a, it's like a quote from Psalm 118. Uh, he did come to bring peace, and he is glorious beyond all glory, and they're rejoicing and they're praising God. These are, these are on the surface. These are right things for them to do. And Jesus says what they're saying is so true that somebody has to say it. Somebody has to say it that it would be wrong for it all to go unsaid. It's just that the people refused to understand what it really meant. They refused to let their expectations be challenged and changed by him. And I don't say that they couldn't understand. I don't say that they didn't understand. I say they refused to understand because this was something God had been declaring to them for centuries and Jesus has been talking about it the whole time he's with them. He's saying it like it is, and they didn't want to hear it. God didn't come in the flesh to exalt his people to a place of political safety while he used his great and terrible power to lay waste to the nations, bringing peace by the sword or by any version of power that we dream of, the kind of power that Rome was wielding. God came in the flesh because there is conflict between his citizens and himself. That's why he came in the flesh. He came to display his true power by letting us crucify him. That's why he came. He came to bring true peace through the blood of his cross, reconciling all citizens of his kingdom to himself, whether those are Jewish citizens or Gentile citizens, the pagans, the nations. So even though they hailed him as king and threw him a welcoming party, he wept. He wept as he entered the city because they didn't recognize the moment for what it really was. I don't know what it would have been like to be there at, the, at that moment. What do you mean didn't recognize the moment? Look at all this fanfare. We're welcoming you into the city as our king. And he's weeping because they didn't recognize what was really happening. They didn't recognize themselves as the citizens who are saying, we don't want God, we don't want this man to reign over us. They didn't recognize that in themselves. They didn't recognize him for who he has revealed himself to be, even though he's been very clear about it all along. When he drew near, it says in verse 41, he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. It's not, it's not your vision of this political peace 
gotten by war. You don't establish peace by more war. You don't know what makes for peace. But now these things are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. You'll be sieged. And they'll tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't know this, what was happening right now. And this is what would happen, is what he's talking about, I think, uh, at least on the face of it, is 40 years later, 40 years after his, his crucifixion here and his resurrection, the Jews would revolt eventually against the Roman Empire. They'd do what they wanted to do, and they would get destroyed for it. The Romans would grind Jerusalem to dust in the most terrible way. You could read about that in the history books. And Jesus was saying this because they had not chosen the way of peace, the way of true peace. And that is peace with God and peace with the nations, peace with others in the name of the Prince of Peace. And he wasn't saying this in this this last paragraph of our passage when he's weeping and prophesying their destruction. He's not saying this in some vindictive way. He's weeping. He's weeping over the city. It says in Ezekiel, in a couple places, um, in chapter 18, it says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. Or Ezekiel 33, I have no, no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way to me and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you die? Jesus didn't weep so that people would pity him. He's not an underdog that everybody roots for in the big match. He didn't weep for the failure of his mission that he seemed unable to persuade sinners of who he really was. Jesus didn't weep and whine and say, why doesn't anyone love me? Jesus didn't weep because now things were about to get really rough for him. He wept because he loved his people. He wept because he loved his people and they had chosen the way of their own doom apart from him. Thankfully, this says more about what kind of person Jesus is than it does about the kind of people that we are. That's why it's included in the gospel. It's not just a condemnation of people who choose their own doom apart from God. It says more about what Jesus is like, the fact that he's weeping over people like us. We're supposed to find hope in his tears in spite of ourselves. In spite of the worst of ourselves, we're supposed to find hope in his tears. The king could have seen the city and condemned it and turned his back on it and gone back into heaven where he would be more appreciated while it all burned. He could have done that. But he came, he rode into the city, and he leaned into the conflict that his citizens were having with himself. He leaned into that, and he made himself utterly vulnerable. I mean, if you think openly weeping before people is vulnerable, he went well past that point. He loved sinners, and he let them crucify him. That's how vulnerable he made himself. 
He shed his tears. He even shed his blood for rebellious people who didn't want him to reign over them. And what happened when he did that? What happened when he went to the cross? The house of Israel died like he prophesied. The house of Israel died because he's the true house of Israel. His enemies surrounded him. His enemies tore him to the ground. They didn't leave one stone upon another. He was dead. He chose to suffer the judgment that we had chosen. We, we chose this condemnation. We chose this doom for ourselves in living apart from God, in our rebellion against him and our sin. We've chosen that, and he chose to suffer it for us. He was torn down so that we could be built up, a temple of living stones that's forever safe in him. He's the king. Uh, he's the weeping king. He's the king of restoration. He's the king of reunion and reconciliation and love. And this is the salvation that the king br- uh, came to bring to his people. It's reconciliation to God. No one else can reconcile you to God, only Jesus. And he came to do it. And therefore, he came to bring peace on earth, peace to all peoples, as they are reconciled to God through faith in him. He didn't come to make his special chosen people successful in battle and war over the other nations. He came to bring peace, real peace. And only he knows what that means. As uh, Travis read in our Old Testament reading from Zechariah 9, we're supposed to rejoice because he's coming to us. This king, having righteous, uh, he, he's righteous and having salvation, and he's humble and mounted on a donkey. It's this, this picture of extreme humility, almost laughable. It really is laughable, silly humility. Not the king you would expect and, uh, and in verse 10 he says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow should be cut off. So I'm not going to bring the kind of peace that you get by having the biggest, best weapons and knowing how to use them. I'm going to destroy weapons. I'm going to destroy war itself through my sacrifice. And he shall speak peace to the nations. Not the kind of conquering peace that the Roman Empire did. And his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So he came to bring an end, ultimately, to your war war with God. He came to bring an end to your war with God and with others. And that war would end only through his sacrifice. And that's that's exactly what happened at the cross. And that's what the New Testament is about. In Ephesians 2, in particular, it says, He himself is our peace. Talking about the reconciling of Jews and Gentiles, people from different nations, who normally would be at war with each other for all kinds of reasons. He's reconciled us to God in one body, unity, through the cross, through his sacrifice. He's reconciled us to God and to one another. And if you don't recognize his visitation, you don't recognize what it was that was happening when this king came into the city, why he came, what he did that week, what this Messiah, what this king really is like, if you don't recognize and embrace him for who he really is and what he came to do and how, he came to do it through his sacrifice, then you will not know what makes for true peace with God and other people. You'll never know it. And you'll be doomed to war with God and others. And you'll be destroyed. But he weeps at the very thought of that. And he asks you, why would you want that? Why wouldn't you turn to him as the king that he really is? He's the most wonderful person 
He's the very best human being. He's God himself at your service. Why would you say, we don't want this man to reign over us? See how he weeps for those who choose the way of death apart from him? Why would you refuse a love like that? See how he allowed us to crucify him? He let that happen in order to give us the free gift of eternal life with God, to be reconciled to God and to one another. Why would you not rejoice? Why would you not praise? Why would you not sing, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, glory in the highest, everything. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the King of heaven and earth, whether we acknowledge it or not. And uh, by the power of your Spirit, we submit our lives to you. We ask that you would make yourself known to us as you really are by your Spirit. You would open our eyes to recognize you. You would open our hearts to receive you as the good King that you are. You laid down your life for us. So we lay down our resistance to you and we ask you that um, you would conquer us by your love so that we can know real peace, true peace with God and, and with each other in your name. Amen.